The text for this morning's message is taken from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. I invite you to turn there and follow along with me. It's on page 1390 of the Pew Bible, if you're using one of those. Ephesians 1, beginning at verse 15. For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. And I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The link between the series that we just ended on suffering and the series that we're just beginning on the body of Christ is that The suffering that Jesus began to perform and experience in his earthly body, he goes on performing and experiencing in his church body. You remember the story of Paul's going up to Damascus? Acts 9.1 says he was breathing out threats and murders against the disciples of the Lord. And on his way, a light shone out of heaven. He fell to the ground, and a voice came from heaven saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Now, Saul did not believe that Jesus was alive. He believed the whole thing was a delusion. He believed that he was persecuting deluded Jewish fanatics who thought that a crucified criminal was the Son of God. And they were crazy. And he was going to stamp that out. That was not the opinion, however, of the Son of God. When the Son of God spoke to Paul, he said not, why are you persecuting my church? Or, why are you persecuting my disciples? He said, why are you persecuting me? You touch my church, you touch me. That's the meaning of the body of Christ. This is the link between suffering and the body of Christ. On the earth, Christ had one kind of body. 
A physical body like yours and mine, and he bore suffering. He died for us with that body. He felt pain with that body. And now he is risen, ascended to the Father's right hand with a spiritual body in the heavenly places. And on the earth he has another kind of body. And with that body he suffers. Why are you persecuting me? Let me give you another illustration. In Matthew 25, Jesus is telling his disciples about what it's going to be like at the judgment. And he says to the sheep on his right hand in that day, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. And of course, they're surprised because they know Jesus is in heaven all that time waiting to come on clouds of glory. And so they ask him, how so did we do all this to you? And he said, truly I say to you, as you did it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it unto me. The brethren are the church, are the body, are Christ. If you touch the church, you touch Christ. If you wound the church, you wound Christ. If you bless and love and show affection to the church, his body, you show affection to Christ. I was walking out this morning. One of our young men, so encouraging when people are listening and they're, they're two, three steps ahead of me, thinking of all the texts I could have used. <laughs> it's so great. <laughs> and he said, you know, the other one you could have used was... Uh, at the end of John, where Jesus said, do you love me? And Peter said, yes. And he said, feed my sheep. Isn't that great? He says, right on being. He says, right on being. Here's another one. In 1 Corinthians six fifteen, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I therefore take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Do you not know that he who joins himself to a prostitute becomes one body with her? I'm going to preach a whole sermon on that text in November. But right now the point is this. We are the body of Christ so much so that not only are we individually members of his body, but the members of us individually are members of him. So that what you do with your members, he does. And if you crawl into bed with a prostitute, you drag Jesus with you. That's an awesome thought. That is an awesome thought. What you do with your body, you force Jesus to do. You could call it raping Jesus. That deserves a sermon, but we'll be back. Jesus has arms and legs. He works, he walks. He has a mouth to talk and he has a feet, a foot to be blistered and, and backs to be beaten and Hunger to be fed and loneliness to be visited on the earth. We're going to talk for 12 weeks about the body of Christ. 
It is an awesome thing. And my, my goal in these 12 messages is not merely to fill our heads with knowledge, but to fill Minneapolis with Christ. If we become the body, which is the presence of the Lord physically on the earth with mouths, eyes, ears, and hands, and feet to work, and speak, and love, and minister, and care, and stand up for right, then Minneapolis will be filled. Minneapolis will never be filled with Christ apart from the body of Christ. Now let's take that word filled and go to the text and see where I'm getting it and make some observations. Ephesians chapter 1, I'll read verses 22 and 23 to start with. And he, God, put all things in subjection under his, Christ's feet, and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Notice, fullness of him who fills all in all. This text is about filling Minneapolis with Christ. It's about last week's sermon. Christ is all. Christ will never be all except through being all in his church. Now I want to make three observations from verse 23. I think on the face of it they're very simple and obvious and come right off the text. But beneath they are awesome in their depth and implication for our lives. So number one. Observation number one, the church is the body of Christ. Verse 22 ends by saying, God gave Christ as head over all things to the church. And then verse 23 starts in reference to the church, which, which church is his body. The church is Christ's body on the earth. Here at the beginning of this series, let's mark it down so that we never make the mistake. The word church in the Bible never, without exception, never refers to a building. In English language, C-H-U-R-C-H usually refers to a building in people's mouths and minds. That is never the meaning in the Bible. The, the Greek ekklesia or the Hebrew kahal or... or uh, forget the other one, never refers to a building. It always refers to an assembly of people, either the body universal or the gathered church in a region or in a city or in a home. And so let's just try in our own understanding to use this word the way the Bible does, though we'll never purge the English language of its, of its uh, confusion in using church for building. The second observation, Christ fills all in all. Christ fills all in all. Verse 23 again, which is his body, the fullness of him, that is Christ, who fills all in all. So Christ fills all. And, and if you take the present tense and the, the middle voice of the Greek seriously, then it would be Christ is now filling all things for himself. 
He's in the process of filling everything for his own renown and glory. So I take this to mean that he is in the business of filling every sphere of reality, every place of reality, every dimension of reality with as much of himself as he deems wise. Now the clue that helped me understand what filling all in all in this context means came from chapter 4, verses 8 to 10. And I invite you to turn there with me. Ephesians 4, 8 to 10. And the reason this is such an important parallel with our text is because the flow of thought is very similar. It's a flow that moves from resurrection and ascension and reign into filling all things. So Paul is referring to the resurrection of Christ here and his ascension and his breaking the bonds of death and hell and sin and fear and taking the church free for himself and bringing them, as it were, into the presence of God with him. Let's read verse 8. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives. I believe that's you and me taken free from the devil and fear and sin and death. And he gave gifts to men. Now, this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens, here it comes, that he might Fill all things. Now, when I read that, I said, now that's the clue I need for chapter 1, verse 23, where Christ is said to fill all things in all things or in all ways. So let's get the flow of the thought here so we can get a beam onto Paul's mind. What is What does this mean, he fills all things? The connection is this. God the Father raised him from the dead. He installed him at his right hand as king over the universe. He put all of his enemies under his feet. He allowed him to take captive captive. And he did all of that in order that he might now from his reigning throne fill all things. And the most natural interpretation then, it seems to me, would be what he fills all things with is the exertion of his kingly rule at God's right hand. He fills all things with his authority. He fills all things with his reigning might. There is no nook and cranny of the universe where the authority and the reigning might and rule and power of Jesus is not going to be fully felt. That would be the natural way just to to let the flow of thought move there from verse 8 on into verse 10 where it says he did all of this. He ascended far above. He took his crown. He has authority that he might fill all things with his kingly power and glory. Now let's go back to chapter 1, verses 20 to 22, and let ourselves see the very same sequence of thought. Starting in verse 20. God raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, Far above 
Now watch the words all and every turning up here because what it says in verse 23 is that he fills all things. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age but in the age to come. And he put all things under in subjection under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church. Now notice those four things. God raised him from the dead. God gave him a seat of kingly authority. God put everything in the universe in subjection to him, including all the powers of darkness. And God gave him then as head over all things to the church. And chapter 4, verse 10 says he did that in order that he might fill all things. And verse 23 says he does indeed fill all things in all ways. And so the most natural meaning, I think, in both of these parallel texts is that the filling of all things is the assertion, the intrusion, the exertion of the rule of Christ and his authority everywhere. Picture him as a king now. Let's just use a metaphor of a king ruling over several or a whole lot of territories. He's a king. He's been put on the throne. But he has many territories that are in rebellion against him. Now, he has authority over those territories. He could move in any day with all his sovereign power and squash all rebellion if he wanted to. But he allows there to be a season in which amnesty is extended freely by the blood of his son for that anybody can make peace who wants to make peace before the last day comes and there is the exertion of his rule. So he has these territories and he has that authority. And the point of this text is that he means in every territory, in every nook and cranny of the universe, from, from heaven above to hell below, to exert himself fully and to manifest his authority and his right to rule and his glory himself there to the degree that he deems appropriate for the maximum renown and display of his glory. Even hell, I believe, will be filled with the knowledge of God's wrath and power and the wisdom of his glorious salvation, which has been rejected. So the summary of this second observation, the first observation was very simple. The church is the body of Christ. The second observation is that Christ is filling for himself all things. His glory, his power, his kingly authority is pervading and will pervade Everything in every way that the wisdom of God ordains for his maximum renown and splendor from heaven to hell. Observation number three takes your breath away if you believe that you are part of the body of Christ. The observation is this. Christ's body is the fullness by which... He fills all things. Christ's body is the fullness by which he fills all things. Now read this with me so that you don't think I'm making up those incredible words. Just read the verse again. 
which, that is the church, is his body, the fullness. Do you see that? The body is the fullness. The church, that is the fullness of him who is filling all in all. The body is the fullness, which most naturally means then that the church, the body of Christ, is the fullness by which Christ fills all things. Now, how does that fit together with what we just developed under the second observation? What we just said was that in filling all things, Christ at the right hand of the Father exerts his kingly rule and authority to extend his glorious might into every nook and cranny of the universe and to fill it up with as much of himself as his wisdom deems appropriate for the maximum renown of Christ. And now I'm saying it is the church which is the fullness with which he fills those nooks and crannies with his glory. Now, the clue that unpacks this for us is found in chapter 3, verse 10, and I invite you to go there with me. What can it mean that Christ fills all things with a fullness which is the church? In this passage, Paul has just said that he is called to proclaim the riches of Christ and to reveal the mystery of Christ. And now he gives the reason or the purpose for that in verse 10 of chapter 3. In order that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church. That's the key. To the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. Those two words, rulers and authorities, are the exact two words used to describe half of the demonic forces which are now under the Lord's feet in verse 22 and 1. Now look what's going on here in this verse. The first thing that's going on is this. The purpose of God Almighty is to manifest God. That's the, that's the bottom line purpose of this church and our whole theology. We exist the earth exists, the universe exists, devils exist, angels exist, heaven exists. All things exist outside God to show God. That's why they exist. All things exist to manifest God. And in this text, one of his perfections is mentioned. The same is true of all of them. Namely, he wills that his manifold wisdom be shown and known in hell. Or those parts of heaven which are still in rebellion against God and ruled by principalities and powers. God is in a public relations project of universal proportions. He means to put signposts everywhere, all over the universe. I am God. I am infinitely wise, good, holy, true, just, pure. That's the first thing going on in this verse. God means to be God. God means to be magnified as God and known as God and loved as God and honored as God. And every knee is meant to bow before God. 
Now, the second thing going on in this verse is that he means to do that through the church. That the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. Now, I think this is an illustration of verse 23 of chapter 1. Verse 23 of chapter 1 says that the church is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The church is the fullness with which Christ fills all in all. So here's the way I would put it in a sentence. God aims to fill the universe with the glory of his son Jesus by making the church the showcase of his perfections. God aims to fill the universe with the glory of his son Jesus through making the church his body the showcase of the Son's perfections, who himself is the embodiment of deity. And may the Lord give us a mind and a heart to grasp this and live it. The Lord just gripped me at the end of the service last time as, as I was praying. I just said, God, how? How can we live and move and have our beings in these realities while watching television. How can we? I have a picture in my mind, Sunday after Sunday, of being caught up into the heavenlies and beholding things that the world will never tell you, which are the ultimate realities and will be here in a million years when everything else is gone. And then people walking out and turning on the radio and just listening to news and music, and, and then the television, and then it's gone. And we go right back down, and we just live like everybody else lives. And I'm persuaded that the reason in, in Ephesians 1, Paul starts with a prayer in verse 15, and just cries out, God, give the church a spirit of wisdom and of revelation. Revelation! And enlighten the eyes of their hearts that they might know this hope, this inheritance, this power. It's because without a miracle, you'll, you'll walk out of here and just, just, it won't hold you. We should, this is revival. We should be on our faces just crying out, let this glory hold me. Let it hold me. Today, tomorrow, may I get up and may I see myself and my family and Bethlehem as part of the body of Christ. And him is the head over all things. Let me close with a reference to verse 22. God put all things in subjection under his feet. And gave him his head over all things to the church. Now, picture this. 
It did not happen like this. God raised Jesus from the dead. He installed him as king at his own right hand. And then he put all of his enemies under his feet and said, Son, go forth and fill the universe with yourself and your power and your authority. It didn't happen like that. Something was missing. It happened like this. The father raised his son from the dead. He installed him as king over the universe at his right hand where he sits today watching us right now. He put all of his enemies under his feet, all thrones and dominions and rule and authority and power under his feet. And then he gave the son as head over all things to the church and as head and body. He gave Christ to the world and said, now go. Christ, head and body, and fill this world. Fill heaven, fill hell, fill Minneapolis and all the world with the glory of my Son through the showcase of his redeeming work in the church. Let the church be on display as that which was conceived and planned and destined and called and regenerated and justified and sanctified and preserved and kept and will one day be consummated and satisfied with God forever and ever. Let that go on display for Satan. Let that go on display for all the rulers and authorities and dominions and powers. Let it go on display for Minneapolis and all the media. Let it go on display for all the educational enterprises. Let it go on display for all the business and commerce. Let it go on display for every level of culture and society until this whole universe is filled with all the fullness of Christ, the body. Without a miracle, you will just walk out of here this morning and just flick on the radio. And it'll be gone. I have shown you something that is more staggering, more awesome, more wonderful, more glorious than anything you will ever hear from the world. Father, we bow before you and we long to worship you and remember you and to keep these things in our hearts and to be gripped by them and held by them. And I just plead that however you do it, Lord, you will not let us walk through this day and this week without being guided and shaped and controlled by these staggering realities of who the church is in union with her living head.
I invite you to pray afterwards with the prayer teams about any burden or concern or spiritual crisis in your life that may have been created this morning or may have been brought into this room. They would love to seek God's power filling your life.